You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast, we sit down with Samira Khan, who is a social impact changemaker and entrepreneur passionate about empathy-driven, innovative approaches to advancing societal well-being and solving global challenges. This includes through tech, cross-sector business model innovation, art, education, and engagement. On this week's episode, we talk about who is driving more of this movement for global impact? The corporations, the government, the stockholders, the citizens, or who? How can startups benefit from this wave of thought? What global changes are we going to see in the coming years? And how would one go about living a purpose-driven life and creating a world of change makers? This and much more on this week's episode of the Silicon Valley Podcast. Now let's begin. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Samir, I'm super excited for you to be on the Silicon Valley Podcast today. Now, before we start, I want to thank Sharon with the Silicon Valley Magazine, who made this introduction that allowed today's interview to happen. And for everyone listening to this episode, you know, Samira's birthday is coming up this week. So, you know, when you connect with her online or if you're already connected, you know, please wish her a happy birthday. And, you know, with that, Samira, can we just dive right into the questions? Your most recent title was Director of Citizenship, AI, and Sustainability Market Development at Microsoft. Now, that's quite an extensive title. Can you give us a little bit more insight into what you did? What were you doing there? Yeah, thanks so much, Sean. So, Our leadership at Microsoft, the VP of AI and Sustainability Strategy, had a really interesting and beautiful vision to go in with our leading customers, our partners with a shared social impact or sustainability agenda. So truly trying to figure out what Microsoft is committing to and prioritizing and identifying similar priorities amongst those players so that we could stand up social impact and sustainability programs and initiatives together. So really going on a values-based journey with customers that are impact forward, that are sustainability leading, etc. And as a result of that, you know, I had the opportunity to stand up a digital skilling program in Los Angeles that was focused on interacting with community partners, learning sort of leading practices from them around digital skilling and about the populations we were touching, working with local governments in order to really stand up the program. And then again, as I mentioned, partnering with other corporations. So it was really a cross-sector approach to social impact and sustainability that prioritized Microsoft's customers and Microsoft's um, partners as well. So super innovative, market building, sort of market making function. And I think there was also a realization, though, that there's a lot of emerging technology in the space, in the field that can also advance social impact and sustainability. So it wasn't just about standing up these programs, but it was thinking about that AI angle as well. And that's why that's a part of the title. So I mentioned the digital skilling piece, but there was also a program around supporting social entrepreneurs and partnering better with social entrepreneurs on the ground to bring to life these programs and these initiatives and support the great work that they're doing in the community that that creates business value, but also creates social impact at the same time. So that's some of what I was involved in. In addition to that, 
the citizenship team that I was on had a long history with Microsoft in different parts of the organization and truly had really deep relationships with the community. So there was also a component of how do we continue to build bridges with the community and truly get those insights from on the ground from those individuals back into the company to really influence the design of the programs, to influence the design of products. There was an AI for Good initiative that used to exist before, and we were leveraging some of that work. And then a cornerstone was really thinking about empathy and empathy in action, which is really about bridge building, you know, companies and professionals such as myself going into the communities and trying to better understand them as well as sharing what the company stands for and the commitments that the company has. So that was the nature of the role most recently. But as I shared with you before we sort of started, I've actually, um, I'm going to be switching roles. Well, tell us about this new role then. Is it still focused on helping the community and sustainability or is it completely 180 pivot? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, all the work that I've done over my career has been very much rooted in my purpose, which is trying to reach and support some of the most excluded communities through social impact, through sustainability initiatives, through driving greater capital and resources from companies into the space. And I think because it's such a multifaceted problem and it's really about you know, systems change and root causes and changing hearts and minds of people, there are different levers you can pull. So whereas with the other position, I was pulling more of that market making, that cross-sector partnerships, program development sort of lever. In this role, it'll be under global public affairs. And it's more about sort of the messaging, the insights, and really narrative building and shaping that narrative around how we talk about these issues that are so critical to society whether it be around trust and trust in technology and creating the sort of appropriate guardrails around technology so that technology continues to be a way to drive social good and it continues to be something that is regulated in a way that advances our culture in the way in which we would like it to go, whether it be about how we message around social impact and priorities, etc. So it's really about that narrative element. So I'm pulling that narrative sort of lever as opposed to the programmatic lever, but it's still in that same space, I would say, around tech and social impact and sustainability, etc. One piece I will say that's really interesting about this role is I am going to be having a touch point with the field team. So if you think about large tech companies, they have so many individuals on the field who are learning every day, who are engaging and interacting with customers who understand those customers really well and their priorities, not just in terms of business priorities, but also social impact and sustainability priorities. So how can we leverage those insights better in the company, I think is a piece of that field engagement. And then there's also executives at the company who have key perspectives around these critical topics, who are messaging, who are trying to influence other stakeholders. So how do we really create a bridge between the field and the executives and learn from both sides together and create sort of more insights for the company and the ecosystem at large around social impact, around sustainability, around these excluded populations and what their needs may be. So it's still very much at the end of the day, a bridge building function, but under public affairs and sort of more in the narrative communications and messaging space. Now, that's really interesting, the the people in the field and the executives and building this bridge. I'm kind of curious, 
how important do you think it is for a company to, especially huge behemoths of companies to stay connected with the community in order to stay relevant? If that bridge isn't there, do you think the company just kind of slowly disappears? Or, I mean, how important is that bridge for both the community and the company's sustainability? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, as I mentioned, my work has very much been rooted in corporate purpose and changing individual hearts and minds to drive that purpose forward. Oftentimes, that purpose manifests differently depending on the executive. Some executives are more interested in a certain topic, whether it be accessibility or climate change because of something happening in their environment, their community, their family, etc. Other executives may be more interested in kind of streamlining operations to drive change and to enable those change makers on the ground to do more or maybe more interested in entrepreneurship. So I'm always trying to see how I can advance corporate purpose through the executives and through the leadership, as well as through the employees themselves and connecting them to causes that they care about. And if you think about the social impact and sustainability space, which is at the core of purpose-driven sort of programming and purpose-driven business and leadership, um, the community really is where all the insights sit. You cannot solve these systemic problems alone. You have to go in it in partnership with others. You have to partner with government because governments have sort of different incentives incentives that are the keepers of social services and certain programs. And they really um, have certain pockets of capital that you want to tap into to truly bring certain programs to life. You absolutely have to understand the communities and the individuals on the ground and who's closest to those communities. Well, they're the nonprofits, the community organizations that are working with these individuals every single day. So if you want to truly lead a company, to have a leading company that's leading on purpose, leading on social impact, leading on sustainability, there's absolutely no way you can't have and you don't need those bridges to the community, whether it be through the community organizations or by partnering with the government or really by partnering with both and standing up these programs and these messages together. I've noticed that more and more CEOs are banding with other leaders to really bring programs to life and are making joint investments, are making joint commitment. So there's this huge recognition that these problems are cross-sector problems. We will not solve them alone. Business is increasingly a force for good. It's often trying to fill gaps that exist because of systematic gaps we have, things that are not covered by the government, things that are unfunded, etc. But that corporations can't do it alone. They have to be learning. They have to be learning in partnership with these other organizations and with these communities. And I will say that with sort of the proliferation of technology and all these startups emerging, if big companies, especially big tech, wants to continue to have an edge and wants to continue to appeal to a vast set of stakeholders and be sort of forward-looking in terms of the direction that the market is going, they absolutely must be even more connected to the ground, to change makers who are leading the helm on social impact and sustainability, who have leading innovations to those who are testing things on the ground, as well as to the core problems. What are the core problems we're trying to solve in this space? Because only then will they be able to bring their technology to bear on the problem. Will they be able to support their employees in sort of, quote, giving back or innovating around social impact? Will they be able to have the right messaging at the executive level and be able to partner with other business leaders around things and really make those joint investments in a strategic way? And in a way that's going to be successful. So 
I think absolutely this bridge is all the more important and technology is driving it and technology will also continue to enable this and enable the community building. Now, before Microsoft, you were the senior manager of global impact innovation engagement at Salesforce. I mean, you'd mentioned the bridge is very important. I'm just wondering, who do you think is driving this? I mean, it sounds like everyone's benefiting from corporations to governments to the community. But who's the force? Who's driving it? Is it the governments, the corporation, the stockholders? At the end of the day, who's really pushing for it? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So I think each of these stakeholders are coming at it from a different lens. They have different incentives at play that are um, sort of in, that are influencing the way in which they act and the way in which they commit and the way in which they show up. So it is definitely a sort of cross-stakeholder problem. It's also a cross-stakeholder platform and solution. So for example, with governments, as they notice that it's increasingly important to, to be sort of more sustainable across government operations, to hold businesses more accountable, etc., we see sort of a proliferation of legislation in the, in the climate space in particular, in particular geographies in Europe, US, etc., We're also seeing a growing consciousness around human rights. So you'll see growing legislation around that. So that's just the government, as an example, trying to hold businesses accountable. You see investors increasingly thinking about the ESG space and voicing themselves and expressing their interests and demanding that reporting change in a certain way. You see um, companies making these increased commitments and actually sometimes even expressing a position on who they will and won't do business with based on their social impact and sustainability practices. They're trying to use social impact as a differentiator to appeal to the market differently, to younger consumers who are asking more questions about the environmental footprint of a product, about social impact, etc. So as you just mentioned, there are different stakeholders. They have different incentives and different forces at play. So it's hard to really identify like one key stakeholder. I will say, depending on the initiative or the program, a different organization or stakeholder will serve as like the backbone. So for some innovation and market making initiatives, oftentimes corporations are trying to lead the helm, or it might be a startup. So it might be a private business. But if it's sort of a social services oriented program, it might be a government, etc. I'll say from my experience in the context of my work, the stakeholders I've been most focused on are one, employees. So we're coming out of a pandemic. If you look at the the value that a company is able to deliver, so much of it hinges upon the well-being, the productivity, the happiness, the joy of the workforce. How are the individuals doing themselves? How are they doing with respect to their family and their family's welfare and their family's health? How are they able to partner effectively with others to innovate and collaborate and bring innovations to market and to life. So I'm really focused on employee well-being, employee purpose, and really how do companies create a culture that fosters you know, the best, that fosters the best that employees have to bring to the table. So that's one key stakeholder in some of the work that I do. And another thing I've been thinking a lot about is just the corporate executive, because oftentimes the corporate executive, especially the CEO, is setting the tone for purpose throughout the organization, is aligning the business, at least in terms of commitments and in terms of narrative, and the employees will come along. So it's very much a bottoms-up, top-down, sort of purpose-related conversation that is rooted in culture. And I think that the chief executives are at the helm of it, and employees are certainly a key stakeholder. 
finally, I'll say the third stakeholder, just from my vantage point, obviously recognizing there are others such as investors, government, etc., is just the market themselves. As I mentioned, we have an increasingly more conscious base. And they are asking really tough questions about products, about operations, about how companies are treating their employees. Some of them are you know, activists, others are artists. They're really trying to illuminate the social challenges that we face as society and trying to bring us together at, you know, as humanity in a particular way. And they're trying to hold corporations accountable. So any business that's not going to sort of listen to that and take that seriously, I think is impacting their long-term sustainability as a business. You'd mentioned your folks in uh, employees. You'd mentioned a lot of other different areas where some of the big corporations are, are focusing. Is there any new trend or push that you're seeing maybe more of them move towards or, or that you're hearing rumors about? Yeah, so there is a huge focus on climate change, a significant amount of investment in terms of financial investment, in terms of bringing the full power of businesses and their different assets to bear on the problem. So employees who are trying to volunteer, trying to change internal practices within businesses around sustainability and the environment, you know, events and the footprint of events, how employees maybe volunteer towards certain organizations. Um, innovation in the sort of environmental space is increasing rapidly, both on the startup side. So, you know, climate tech clean tech related startups, especially in Europe. Also, just innovation coming from companies. So Microsoft's cloud for sustainability is one way that Microsoft is helping its customers sort of track and action on their environmental footprint. Similarly, Salesforce has has net zero cloud. So there are technological innovations that are emerging. And I think we're at the cusp of a lot of business model innovation as well around climate change that brings different asset holders and different impact actors together to truly move the needle, whether it be in the form of a new fund or a capacity building initiative or a bridge that connects sort of entrepreneurs with leading solutions to companies and to capital, et cetera. So really a cross-pollination of a community around climate change and climate action. So a lot of activity there. I will say though, I think what I see coming down the pike is as these new business models and ways of working develop, you'll see innovators and change makers who are thinking about human impact trying to apply those very same models to other problems in the humanitarian sector and to other problems that have previously been under-resourced, underfunded, or, or neglected, for lack of better words. So that is my hope and that is my aspiration. But right now, I see a lot of activity in the climate action space. I'll, I'll say another area um, where I see a lot of activities, the future of work and you know, digital skilling, but more so also this sort of paradigm shift to competency-based hiring, to thinking about jobs as, or careers rather, as not linear, um, and to trying to do away with traditional sort of degrees and ways of credentialing to open the door for talent who previously couldn't access job opportunities. Um, to open the door so that they can really access those job opportunities and to change employer mindset in terms of hiring to really open up that funnel. That's the second area. And then the third area is um, around accessibility. I think the way people are thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion 
is changing. Um, there's obviously a push to just open the funnel in general, but specifically around around accessibility and neurodiversity. So that's that's another space. So a lot of interesting, um, a lot of interesting activity and movement in the space. And I would say the final piece is ethical tech and responsible use. So it is becoming clearer and clearer to people that we're becoming increasingly reliant on technology. Technology is so integrated into people's daily lives, into people's family lives, into their institutions, that without the appropriate conversations and dialogues around what responsible use looks like, what to hold tech companies responsible for, how we should track the outcomes of technology usage, without those venues and conversations, we're at risk. We're really at risk of technology becoming a, a harmful, um, a harmful thing in society, and technology could potentially even be weaponized, as one can see, sort of in the case of Ukraine and and Russia, etc. There's that potential. There's that risk. So as people are recognizing the risks with technology, I'm seeing there be more investment in putting some guardrails around technology as well. There was a lot that you just said there, and I want to go back to the not looking at so much degrees and that when hiring more, if they're able to do the work over right now, we hear a lot about the great resignation and there's also rumors now just rumors that we're going to, we're heading towards a recession. Do you think if the economy changes or kind of impact from this great resignation, do you think that kind of hiring based on qualifications and not pedigree is going to accelerate even more. What are people kind of talking about to make up for if, if there is that turn in the economy? Yeah, I think you're asking a really good question. I think um, with the turn in the economy, there will still be a gap in certain sectors and areas that has always been there that hasn't changed. I mean, tech talent is highly coveted and highly needed, especially you know on the West Coast, et cetera. And so there's still that opportunity to really give people you know certain skills and credential them in a particular way to make them ready to join the tech workforce. So I think that aspect is is not going to change. If you're asking if the recession will accelerate a different way and a different model of hiring, I think that's a really, really interesting interesting perspective. And I think, I don't know if it'll be disproportionately accelerated. I think companies that were already leaning that direction, already leaning toward it, um, will continue to do so. And that won't change. But there are certain companies that haven't, haven't made that paradigm shift. And I think it's partly because they don't have the right tools to A, identify that talent. They don't have the relationship. They don't have the right sort of maybe firms hired or involved to identify non-traditional talent, to really tap into those communities. So that's a gap they may not, they, they may have. In addition to that, they may not have the tools to credential and vet and look at competencies differently. So I think there's a whole sort of space that is growing around tools and credentialing and giving people access into the candidates and the pipe, etc. And so that will continue to be there. And the recession, I don't see it as making a significant dent on that activity. In the sense that I don't think it's going to be like negatively affecting that trajectory, but I also don't necessarily right now see it as being a push, a push for hiring differently. 
you know, it may be, it may be for the tech sector in particular, but not across the board, because I still think that it's really, really tough for some of these companies to tap into and kind of to trust the algorithms and to think differently. And there's also a cultural sort of gap that needs to be filled before any of this is successful. So sometimes, you know, for lack of better words, non-traditional talent is coming into a space or an arena or a workforce that is simply not ready to recognize their talent in a particular way, to work with them in a particular way. They face barriers as they try to grow their careers, as they try to collaborate with others. So there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be done, even if there's appetite and acceleration for non-traditional talent. And that groundwork has to be done and led by the companies and the businesses themselves, changing their practices and culture. Fascinating. So our audience, it's mostly entrepreneurs, mostly in the startup ecosystem, whether it's VCs, whether it's leaders in tech. Just wondering, how can startups benefit from you know, this wave of thought, these changes? Yeah, that's an amazing question. And I actually would love to say that corporations have a lot to learn from startups that could benefit them on their purpose and their impact and sustainability journeys. So first and foremost, you know, I think startups are closest to the problem. I think they are forced to, because they're seeking capital, crystallize what the problem is that they're trying to solve and demonstrate that they are actually solving that given problem, even if it's a smaller problem than, let's say, a large corporation is trying to solve, or if it's smaller than the problem set that a corporation is trying to address. So I think companies can learn a lot from that crystallization of the problem, that getting close to the market, the understanding of the market insights from the ground and testing in partnership with the markets. I think companies can learn a lot from how nimble startups are and how quickly and agile they are and how they move. Companies can learn a lot from their sort of their innovation driven culture and how they collaborate and work on problems and change sort of course correct and change their positions very quickly. It's back to that sort of nimbleness piece of it and really truly leveraging the diversity of their teams. Often I've noticed startups have very diverse teams, small, mighty diverse teams. And I think corporations could set them up themselves up differently so that they almost become you know, a subset or a collection of startups and operate differently in that way. So there's so much culturally, technologically to be learned um, from startups. And I think companies need to do a better job of kind of pulling that insight and pulling that insight in and interacting more with the startup community and building alongside them, building together with them. Um, in terms of startups, I think startups could really leverage and benefit from the large investments that companies have made as either first movers or just because they have deeper pockets in the social impact and sustainability space and really partner with large companies around some of those big commitments, building sustainability and social impact into their model from the start and building those commitments into their model from the start. And they can also maybe contribute a newer way of thinking about the problem that influences the company. So for example, you know, Salesforce has had the one 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 model since its inception. They give sort of one percent of their product, one percent of their people's time, and one percent of their equity to social good. And that is something that Mark Benioff envisioned from day one as a part of the Salesforce journey, and it has persisted. It has taken sort of different forms and has evolved, but it has shaped so much of who Salesforce attracts as an employee, 
of the leadership culture, of the sort of level of collaboration around social impact and sustainability. And I think that startups can certainly learn from that and think very deliberately about building social impact and sustainability from the start, as opposed to it being an afterthought and banding with not only corporations, but other like-minded startups in a movement. Going back there, you mentioned culture a couple of times. What what lessons just on just on culture in general could later stage companies versus startups learn from each other? I mean, an early stage company, they don't have the their company culture really formed yet. Later stage, maybe it's too late to pivot. I'm not sure. What are your thoughts of lessons that either can learn from the other on just culture, company culture specifically? Yeah, company culture. So I mean, I think startups are forced to, again, be scrappier and be more resourceful and draw from not just the community, but sort of other avenues of knowledge and wisdom, et cetera, and pull that into design and really test early, test their sort of concepts and their ideas early. And I think corporations absolutely need to move that direction, especially in the sustainability and social impact space, obviously keeping in mind risk. And the reason they need to move in that direction is because we don't have time. Some of the issues we're dealing with are really fundamental to the existence of our planet and humanity. So we need to accelerate the pace of innovation in the climate change space, in the humanitarian space. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So there needs to be a dedicated safe space for innovation within corporations where they're operating more like startups and their culture more is reflective of a scrappiness, of a an appetite to test, and there needs to be resources, financial and otherwise, earmarked for that type of testing within corporations. And that allows you to get the best of both worlds. It allows you to leverage the relationships that exist amongst these big corporations and some of the large investments they've made in this space and the sort of pace and culture of innovation needed to solve some of society's greatest challenges. So I would say... Culturally speaking, companies need to have a bit of a, a startup within a large company. That has to be a part of their culture. And it has to be supported by the C-suite leadership and the executives. It has to be supported and recognized by business units as a different way of working within a large company. So that, that safe haven needs to be created. In terms of startups, I think there is also sometimes um, this element of I'm out there. I'm in the market. I know my solution really well. I'm the best in the market. I'm going to be a leader. You need that confidence to seek capital. But there needs to be also sort of, I think, I don't want to call it a humility, but a recognition that there's so much to learn from big companies who've been on this journey. And some of the growing pains they faced as they evolved represent your future and represent you tomorrow. So I would love to see startup sort of founders almost having a coaching or mentorship-like relationship with some of these execs, that's a two-way street. Now you need time for that. And you know, oftentimes, startups and those working at startups just don't have the time. But I think you one has to carve out space to grow and to learn and kind of have that growth mindset in partnership with other sectors and partnership with large corporations. I like having to take that time and carve it out <laughs> for a purpose. It's great advice. Before the, before the recording, you'd mentioned a, a quote and said, we can only achieve a more sustainable, equitable world. We know how to have empathy for one another and connect on a deeper level. 
Can you go deeper into this? And what is your personal purpose or what grounds you in your work? Yeah. So as I started sort of peeling back, you know, this notion of social impact and sustainability being rooted in purpose, like individual purpose and humanity kind of asking the question, why are we here? What kind of a world are we trying to create? What kind of a world we want to live in, which is, I think, a very important question to ask. I realized that there is no way we are going to build the kind of world that we would like to live in if we are not connected to one another, if we are not partnering with one another. And I don't only mean in a business sense or with a shared vision or in a transactional way, but if we are not achieving sort of imp- intimacy with one another, if we're not able to be empathetic to another's sort of problems or where they're coming from, to truly understand the types of problems that communities face to truly understand how certain populations such as refugees, those in South Asia, etc. are affected by climate change. We truly have to get closer to their narratives, to their stories. And we must really be in touch with our inner world in order to ignite and generate the type of empathy that will result in action, that will result in generating action for populations that are really far away, that are going to be hit the hardest and first by some of the the problems that our society faces by climate change, by water scarcity, by you know increasing wars and conflict over resources, etc. So that empathy piece absolutely needs to be there if we want to have global sustainability and global equality. And it requires us to get out of our comfort zones to meet face-to-face, to look into one another's eyes, to go into nature together, to spend time with other business leaders, to spend time with people in other sectors like government leaders, but also to spend time with those community members on the ground who we normally would not be sitting down with, whether it be in our own community or communities far away. I think this notion of creating spaces outside of the workplace to connect is very, very important. I think this notion of being able to travel again and being able to see and feel other communities, and it could be through virtual reality, it could be through stories, it could be through narratives, it could be through film. I think the arts have a significant role to play in igniting that empathy, but only if we truly feel it in our hearts, if we're open to it, if we've looked inwardly and we recognize that we hope and we aspire for more for our children and we aspire for a world that's more interconnected, that's more sort of soft and forgiving, only if we have that recognition will we be incentivized to spend our limited time and energy solving some of these problems and to truly leading a purpose-led life and leading a purpose-led business or organization. Otherwise, it really becomes a matter of what is your strategic focus today? What is your strategic focus in three to five years? What is the trend of the day? What bandwagon am I going to jump on now? But for it truly to be intellectually driven and driven by internal motivation, um, I think it has to be rooted in empathy. And not every individual or not every leader is going to care about every problem like water, climate change, humanitarian, etc. That's why it becomes really important for an individual to look inside and figure out what matters most to them, their community, their family, pick a few of those areas and really sort of unleash the full power of their resources and their community onto those topics. Because we all can't solve all of these problems at the same time. And that goes for a corporation and that goes for an individual as well. So I'm really, really, um, 
hopeful about sort of our culture changing around this conversation um, of, of empathy, because empathy will allow us to drive our collective well-being to a space that we need to be in for humanity to continue to exist and to continue to flourish. And the only way that we're not going to be as sort of growth driven or we will, the only way we're not going to be as, I don't want to use the word selfish, but resource sort of driven is if we have empathy. To me, it is absolutely astounding that we have such income and wealth inequality. Just like we recognize human rights and we recognize that certain things just can't be done to another human being because there's value to a life in a particular way, we recognize this concept of sanctity of life. I simply cannot understand how we don't recognize that a certain level of inequality is just inhumane and it's not what we were designed to be and it's not who we should aspire to be going forward. So I think a lot of that closing of the inequality, especially on a global sphere or on the global stage, requires a level of empathy. And the last thing I'll sort of end on is, for me, empathy is a lot about forgiveness. This recognition that the person across from you is inherently human. So they have some of the same needs as you do. And they have some of the same desires as you do. We should try to help each other fulfill one another's needs, but that they also have some of the same human flaws and they're just trying to look out for themselves and their family and their communities. And so being sort of permissive and forgiving others and understanding where they're coming from is very important because we're all in a collective experiment together right now. This is the onus is upon us to innovate and innovate fast. And if we're unwilling to forgive people for mistakes as they test and try things, and if we're unwilling to trust them and recognize that we're on this shared journey together, we're not going to get anywhere and we won't trust people unless we understand where they're coming from. So as you can see, I'm very passionate about rooting a lot of the work in empathy itself. Talking about people around the world, around the globe, when these huge companies, when they bring in brand new technology, there has to be an impact on the culture. Do you see that maybe technology being implemented in certain parts of the world affect the culture more or kind of what research is done before implementing or how do I say this, uh, exposing the, the people to this new technology? I mean, how much analysis is done in advance? Yeah, back in the day, you know, when I was in college, I took a class on technology transfer and interestingly enough, the technology transfer piece of it, or the cultural piece of it, uh, rather, was really about how do you create the enabling conditions in an emerging market for them to adopt the technology you're looking to deliver. So what types of ecosystems, workplaces, skill building initiatives need to be in place? I know that's not what you're asking, but I found it interesting that the question was never asked. When this technology comes to this market, what good will it fundamentally change? Or what practices that are revered in society will it change? How will it harm or hurt the society that, it, that the technology is being brought into? That question or those set of questions were never asked in this course. Um, I will say that the way in which I've seen, let's say, innovators, entrepreneurs, companies look at it 
is by being in touch with community and community organizations and leaders who have influence and understanding both the appetite for the adoption of the technology and how it might be used, both in terms of positive and negative consequences, just looking at the environment and the dynamics at play. So, for example, enabling certain societies and communities when technology all could potentially give them a weapon to really suppress those marginalized groups who have already been suppressed in those communities, but doing so in a more efficient and sophisticated way. Now, that's not what we would hope out of technology, but it does happen. So having that due dil- doing that due diligence, having that awareness of ways in which technology can be abused and misused is a huge piece of it. Now, looking forward and doing scenario planning with regards to how the technology will change the culture and maybe affect Indigenous practices or change the power structure in the community. I think I've seen that looked at less in a forward-looking manner. I've seen retrospectively people draw sort of correlations between um, radicalization and, let's say, availability of technology. In some cases, citing that technology actually enables radicalization because it's allowing um, the spread of misinformation faster, whereas in other cases, people arguing that it actually opens the door to democratization of certain markets because people are exposed to different ways of thinking or philosophical and political institutions and leanings. So I think there's a lot more analysis and work to be done in this realm. I think it's an absolutely brilliant and important question. And I don't have a good answer except for by being in touch with communities and leaders, companies can learn more about the realities on the ground and try and predict the direction things may move and therefore also get stakeholder buy-in before um, launching or introducing a technology in a particular way so that it's not just a business conversation, but it's a cultural transformation conversation as well. And then, so with all this, I mean, with the impact of huge corporations and cultures and you know, expanding globally, I mean, just from an individual level, how can one go about living a purpose-driven life and creating a world of change makers? Yeah, I mean, taking a a step back a little bit, I will say that I think a greater autonomy needs to be given to, um, or or the or these entities need to take greater autonomy over the local implementation and usage of technology. So, the extent to which you can localize sort of the norms of technological use, the better. So, communities and individuals should have a say in how technology shows up in their communities, the extent to which it gets integrated and used. Um, I think that requires a level playing field in terms of power dynamics and resource dynamics, which we don't have historically in this world. So greater investment needs to be made in ensuring that communities have greater autonomous say. Now, to the point of how can one lead a greater sort of purpose-driven life and create a community of change makers, I think it go, comes down to time and space to do a lot of inner work to realize what you want to be and the change you want to affect in the world. We all cannot solve all of the sort of world's problems. Some of us will approach it from an individual lens trying to impact their immediate family, local community. Some want to have an impact on a global stage. People are bringing different sort of desires and strengths. So playing on your strengths, whether it be you know, in the business realm and creating new models, or it's actually telling stories, or it's actually creating films, whatever it is that's your sort of magical power, unleashing that on a cause you care about in a way that gives you joy, fulfillment and meaning is really what it's 
all about. And so you have to go on that journey for yourself to really envision your future and figure out what your place is um, in society and then create a sort of group around you of change makers who share your vision or who can enable your vision in a particular way or who can trade ideas with you on new ways of addressing social problems. So it's about taking that time to do that inner work, to do that planning. I mean, we take time to create, hopefully, plans around exercise and plans around diet and career planning. We plan so many things that I think our purpose journey also needs to be planned, not in a super structured way, but in a fluid way. And every day, sort of having a spiritualizing that purpose and understanding how it manifests in our daily practices and in how we treat other people and how we decide to prioritize our lives is very important as well so that it imbibes your personal and your professional life and how you show up in society and how you show up with other people, I think, is an important piece of it. Because for me personally, what's been most rewarding and fulfilling is being able to influence others and change their their minds about sort of purpose and about the role of business in society and about specific causes. And sometimes I'll do it through writing. Sometimes it's through the stories I tell. Sometimes it's through sitting down with people who I know have opposing views as myself. So really going out there is sort of my way. I'm not saying that's everybody's way, but being able to influence the movement, whether it's through the skills you're bringing or the technology you're bringing, the relationships you're building is really important. And I think in terms of connecting with other change makers, I think it's it's about friendships. It really comes down to really getting to know the other person and befriending them and their them as humans, not just um, transactionally around a specific cause or a specific business need, but really embracing others and pulling them into your community. So historically, we've had very tight physical communities. And that notion of a physical community is breaking down with technology and the pervasive usage of technology, the fluidity and sort of the rate at which people have been mobile, maybe not during the pandemic, but pre-pandemic. And this idea of remote working. So we no longer have those physical locations or those sort of focal points that we once did, but we can create institutions and cultural constructs and institutions around change making that represent the new sort of form and shape that community takes. And before wrapping it up, Mm -hmm. quick question. What do you think will be kind of on a global sphere, the global changes we're going to see in the years to come? Yeah, so one, um, I I do really, really hope that this growth-driven mindset of businesses will change. I think there's going to be a recognition that we are, and there already is, that we are operating under constraints, planetary boundaries and constraints that really don't allow us to grow without some sort of guardrails. So I see industries and companies holding one another accountable you know, and preventing this unrestrained growth. And part of that will come from the value that people attribute to social outcomes and to environmental outcomes. And when they're willing to put resources and there's a way to exchange value and people are taking sustainability and social impact into consideration when they make decisions around business, who they will do business with, how much they will do business, whether or not they will support and fund an innovation, if VC starts taking into consideration impact and sustainability in a very serious way, I think that will shift the conversation. So as you see investors, businesses, 
you know, changing their decision making around the impact and sustainability space and with the growing sort of proliferation of legislation, you won't just have a growth, growth, growth mindset amongst businesses and others. And I think having that be more tempered and recognizing that well-being matters, work-life balance or work-life harmony or whatever we want to call it matters. I think we will learn to cut back in a way that is more healthy, that is more pleasurable, that is more enjoyable. And that allows us the space and time to connect with others differently. That really deepens that piece I talked about, which is empathy. Only if you have the space to breathe and to connect, can you have empathy. And it's only when we stop driving forward so much from a growth mindset, will we be able to open that space to breathe collectively as humanity. So I'm hoping that's the direction the world goes. And Samira, if anyone wants to find out more information about you or what you're working on, what's the best way to go about doing that? Yes, I think the easiest way to connect with me is LinkedIn. I use it a lot. Um, but my email address is samira.khan at gmail.com. So you could always email me as well. And I'm always open to a conversation because I view it as a way to learn. Fantastic. We're going to have that information in the show notes. And for our, our audience out there, if you're a rising startup or you know, you're looking to exit, when I'm not doing this podcast, I'm a mid-market investment banker focused on mergers, acquisitions, growth capital, and secondaries. You can reach me on LinkedIn, scan the QR code if you're watching the video, or go to our website, thesiliconvalleypodcast.com, connect with me there or on LinkedIn. And I also want to once again, thank Sharon from the Silicon Valley Magazine for making the introduction that allowed this interview to happen. Samira, I want to wish you a happy birthday. And for all our listeners out there, you have our email address now. You or LinkedIn, you can reach out to her and you know, wish her a happy birthday. And with that, Samira, thank you for your time this week on the Silicon Valley Podcast. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. To access our resources, visit us at thesiliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is licensed by the Investors Podcast Network. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.